الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد وشرح إن وإن الشرح of the كتاب the explanation of the كتاب صفة صلاة النبي كأن من التكبير إلى التسليم كأنك تراها written by العلامة محدث ديار الشام محمد ناصر الدين الألباني رحمه الله رحمة واسعة The author رحمه الله he goes into the chapter of standing and sitting in the prayer night In this chapter the author رحمه الله العلامة محمد ناصر الدين الألباني he speaks about the following issues he speaks about the following issues المسألة الأولى the first issue that he tackles in this chapter is إِثْبَاتُ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ That is transmitted from the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam أَنَّهُ صَلَّى صَلَاةَ اللَّيْلِ That the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He prayed the night prayer عَلَى ثَلَاثَةِ أَحْوَالِ In three situations That the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He prayed the night prayer uh, in three situations, in three ways. Number one, that he would pray it standing up from the beginning to the end. So the Messenger he would pray the Qiyamu Salatul Layl, the night prayer. He would pray in three situations. The first situation is he would pray it standing up and he would do that from the beginning to the end. Yeah, and from the beginning of the salah to the end of the salah, he would pray like that. Salawatullahi wa The second situation is, كان يبدأ الصلاة قاعداً. He would start the prayer standing up. فيقرأ من جلوس فإذا ما بقي من قراءته قدر ما يكون من ثلاثين أو أربعين آية وقف وقرأ باقي الآيات ثم ركع من قيامه وأدى بقية الصلاة بهذه الصفة. The second situation is, he would start the prayer standing up. He would what? He would كان يبدأ الصلاة قاعدا He would start the prayer standing up فيقرأ He would read من جلوس And He would sit down when the recitation starts So he would start the prayer by standing up He say Allahu Akbar He does the istiftah The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam istiftah He would also do sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the dua that he needs to read The minute he needs to read Fatiha he sits down when there is like 30 or 40 verses left, he would stand up وسلم, and he would finish that stand, uh, that, that, that part standing. So he would, st- he would start the prayer uh, with the dua al-istiftah and everything standing up. Then he would sit down when he recites Surah Al-Fatiha. Salawatullahi wa salamu and then he would read the next surah. He would read, he would read, he would read, he would read. If there is 30 to 40 verses left for him, وسلم, he would stand up and he would recite the remaining uh, while standing up. وسلم, and then he would do his ruku' and he would do the same in the prayer. The third situation is, He would pray the whole stand, the whole uh, salah sitting down. And he would recite, then he would, ثُمَّ يُكَبِّرُ عَنْ جُلُوسٍ And he would do the takbir while sitting down. 
So the whole entire qiyam, he'll be sitting down. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He'll be sitting. And when he wants to do the ruku', he doesn't stand up. He just does ruku' from, from his sitting. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa So those are the three points that the author, rahimahullah, mentions that the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, used to do in the standing. So that's the first point that the author, rahimahullah, discusses here. Mas'alatul ula was what, my beloved brothers and sisters, that which is transmitted from the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when it came to the night prayer. That's point number one. And in there, he mentioned three surah. I'm a three hala that the Messenger وسلم, used to praise his qiyam. Then the author spoke about a second mas'ala, a second issue he spoke about in this chapter, which is what? And the Messenger وسلم, he prayed um, the salah mutarabbi'an. Mutarabbi'an would mean he sat cross legged. He sat mutarabbi', which is cross legged. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Those are the two masail that the author rahimahullah mentioned in this chapter that he told us. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So let me say it again. The first mas'ala that the Sheikh spoke about is how was the Prophet standing in the Qiyam, the Salatul Layl? How was he when it came to standing? That was the first thing. What has been transmitted to us regarding the Messenger Sallallahu uh, standing up at night? So we said three situations. The first situation was that he would stand the whole entire uh, uh, qiyam, uh, the, whole, uh, the whole entire salatul layl. All of it he'll be standing from the beginning to the end. Sallallahu alayhi wa What I mean he's standing, I'm talking about of course the qiyam. He'll do ruku' everything normal. The second situation is he would start the prayer by standing and then he would uh, sit down and then فَإِذَا بَقِيَ مِنْ قِرَاءَةِ If there's remaining from his qira'a, like مَا يَكُونُ ثَلَاثِينَ أَرْبَعِينَ آيَةً 30 to 40 verses approximately is waiting for him. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He would stand up. He would stand up, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he would read that until the ruku' from standing. So he read those 30, so he read those 30 to 40 verses from standing, alayhi salatu salam. Salawatu Allahi wa sallam alayhi. The third situation is that he would be sitting the whole entire qiyam. He wouldn't, sit, he wouldn't stand up at all. He would, he would do the ruku' from the qiyam, uh, from the, sorry, from the sitting, from the julus. He would straight away do his ruku'. He wouldn't stand up to do the ruku'. Naam. The author, rahimahullah, he, he speaks about prayer wearing shoes and the command to do so. This chapter, as-salatu al is mentioning as-salatu fil-ni'ali wal-amru biha. The author, rahimahullah, he mentions five masail. Five issues he mentions in this chapter. Rahimahullah rahmatan wasi'a. Five issues. The first issue is, is it permissible to pray with shoes? Hal tajuzu salatu fil Is it permissible for a person to pray the uh, salah um, with shoes on? Is it permissible? And the answer to that question, of course, is a yes. Because it has been transmitted from the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it is permissible. Al-Mas'ala al-Thaniya. The second mas'ala that the author spoke about in this chapter is, ma hukmu salatu fil-na'li. What is the ruling regarding praying the salah whilst wearing shoes? Hukmu salati fil-na'li huwa al-istihbabu. Praying with your shoes in the salah is recommended. Is a mustahab, is recommended. And the evidence for that is, Hadith Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where he said, Khalifu al-Yahuda, go against the Jews, oppose them. فَإِنَّهُمْ لَا يُصَلُّونَ فِي نِعَالِهِمْ 
They do not pray in their shoes. So oppose them. Go against the Jews. They don't do that. You should, also, you should do it. So this Amar here is lil istihbab. It's, it's recommended. Bec- and what's the evidence that it's recommended? That it's not wajib? Because he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prayed hafiyan. He prayed with no shoes on. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This shows annal amra huna lil istihbab. That the command here uh, is, um, what do you call it, recommended. He also prayed with shoes on. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So uh, the fact that he did this and he did this shows us that they are both permissible, but the recommended one from the two is to pray with your shoes on. Uh, that's recommended. Okay. Al-mas'ala to thalitha The third mas'ala, which is, shurut? Are there conditions for praying with your shoes? Are there shurut? If you want to pray with your shoes, we say yes. To pray with your shoes, uh, there are shartan, two conditions. There are two conditions. Ashartul awwal. The first condition is There should not be any filth inside your shoes or on your shoes. Um, you should, they should be very pure. That's why the Messenger said in hadith If one of you enters the masjid, let him look at his shoes. If he finds in his shoes some filth or dirt, then wipe it and then pray with it. That's the first condition. The second condition is It should not lead to any harm. You praying in your shoes should not lead to any harm. And the evidence for that is Because the Messenger The Messenger he never prayed with his shoes on in places that, were, uh, that had carpets. Or even um, any rag or a rug or whatever it may be that was put on the floor, then you shouldn't harm those uh, uh, those surfaces by putting your shoes on and then saying "Khalifu al-Yahuda fa'in sallu fi'ni alikum." The Hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu where he said "Khalifu al-Yahuda fa'inum la yusalluna fa'inum la yusalluna fi'ni alihim." Like oppose the Jews, they don't pray with their shoes, and you enter the masjid. No, don't harm the masjid. Okay, do not harm. Do not harm the masjid. So this uh, falls under la darara wa la dirara. Um, but if the place is sand, uh, then no problem. If it is sand, then no problem. Or if the place doesn't become harmed from it, it doesn't harm this place at all, then it's good to pray with your, with the shoes. The fourth mas'ala that the Shaykh rahimahullah spoke about is Aina yadu'ul musallina alayhi idha salla hafiyan. Where does the person pray, place his shoes if he wants to take his shoes off? Someone wants to take his shoes off. Uh, someone wants to pay, take off his shoes. What should he or, he, he or she do? If you want to take off your shoes. The Shaykh Rahimahullah mentioned, um, the response to that question is, uh, You place it on your left side. If there's no one here, you put your shoes on your left, as long as there's no one there. Because if you put it on your left, then you're going to be putting it on someone else's right, and that is wrong. So, if there's no one on your side, put it to your left. Nah. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he said in the hadith, إِذَا صَلَّ أَحَدُكُمْ فَلْيَضَعْنَ عَلَيْهِ عَنْ يَمِينِهِ وَلَا عَنْ يَسَارِهِ So what did I say? The person has to place their shoes in front, in, on their left side. 
and not on the on the right side of it, somebody. Okay? If you can't, then put it in between your legs. Put it in between your legs. Based on the hadith of the Prophet where he said, إِذَا صَلَّى أَحَدُكُمْ فَلَا يَضَعْنَ عَلَيْهِ عَنْ يَمِينِهِ وَلَا عَنْ يَسَارِي فَتَكُونَ عَنْ يَمِينِ غَيْرِهِ إِلَّا أَلَّا يَكُونَ عَنْ يَسَارِي أَحَدٌ وَلِيَضَعْهُمَا بَيْنَ رِجْلَيْهِ This hadith where the Messenger of Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said that if one of you is praying, he should not place his shoes on his right, he should place it uh, and should not place it on his left if there's someone praying there. And if there's not a person praying, then put it on your left. If not, then put it between your legs. The Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said. The fifth thing that the author Rahimullah spoke about is إِذَا صَلَى الْمُسْلِمِ بِنْ عَلَيْهِ ثُمَّ أَثْنَاءَ الصَّلَاةِ تَبَيَّنَ لَوْ أَنَّ فِينَ عَلَيْهِ قَدِيرًا مَقَدِيرًا You prayed the salah and then you found out that there is filth on your shoes. You remembered, oh no, I know I've got a dirt on my shoes. Okay? Or it becomes clear to you that there is dirt on your shoes. What should you do? Um, um, are you allowed to take it off whilst you're praying? Yes, you can. Because of the Prophet's action, he took off his shoes whilst he was praying. Uh, and the Shaykh Rahimullah brought the evidence for that, where the Messenger took it off and the Sahabas saw the Prophet do it and they did what he did. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And uh, the Messenger told them that in Jibreel Atani, Jibreel came to me and he informed me and he told me that my shoes has filth in it. I'm a filth on it. So I took it off because of that. Now, so um, that is what the author, Rahimahullah, here discussed and spoke about. What I want to say is, um, the last two chapters, I want to summarize it for you guys in five points, inshallah ta'ala. So you, this chapter of Praying the salah, stand, uh, the chapter where we, the, pre- the first chapter that we did when we came, which is praying standing up in your night, night prayer and also praying with your shoes. Let's summarize it in five points, inshallah ta'ala. Point number one, it is permissible for a person to pray the qiyamul layl standing up or he can pray sitting down without any reason whatsoever. He, he's even allowed to combine between it. So point number one, point number one, in the Qiyam, in the night prayer, you can pray standing up. Or you can pray sitting down. Or you can pray combining between the two. Combining between standing up and sitting down. That's the first point that the previous chapter mentioned. The second point is, وَإِذَا صَلَّى قَاعِدًا And if the person, he prays um, sitting, جَلَسَ مُتَرَبِّعًا The person cross Prays cross-legged. Uh, he prays, prays cross-legged. And the third point, which is the chapter of the right, wiping over your, wiping over your, uh, 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 sorry, praying, wearing shoes. There are three points regarding that one, which is it is permissible for you to pray uh, without shoes, as it is permissible for you to pray with shoes on. Point number four. Uh, what is best is to sometimes pray with shoes and sometimes not to pray with shoes in accordance to whichever of those is easiest for you. But revive this sunnah and revive this sunnah. And number five, if the person takes off their shoes, he should not place it, place it on his right side and he also shouldn't place it on his left side if there is somebody next to him. Okay? So he places it in between his legs as it has been transmitted from the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What you tend to find, what you tend to find is some masajids, 
uh, I haven't seen it in the UAE so far, but some masajids where within them, inside the masjid, there is a, there is a, uh, uh, there is a, um, the uh, shoe uh, put on the right side of the masjid. Inside the masjid, the people put it inside and they put it on the windows or they put it on the, on the right side of the people who are praying. This is not allowed. You have to put your sh the shoes on the left side. Okay? Should be put on the left side. Now, the author, Rahimahullah, he goes into As-Salatu ala al-Manbari. The Salah on the member, on the pulpit. As-Salatu ala al-Manbari. The author, Rahimahullah, he mentioned the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that he prayed um, on the pulpit. In another narration, which had three steps, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In this hadith, it shows that it is permissible for the Imam or the teacher or the Shaykh to pray sometimes on a high place. So the people can see him and they learn how to pray the salah. وَلِذَلِكَ أَلِمَامُ الْبُخَارِيُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ إِنِي الصَّحِيحِ He chapted كِتَابُ الصَّلَاةِ بَابُ الصَّلَاةِ فِي السُّطُوحِ وَالْمَنْبَرِ وَالْخَشَبِ Alimamul Bukhari رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ He chapted a bab. He said the chapter of praying on the sutuh, a satah, a roof, or a member. Or a khashab or a wood. To pray on somewhere high. And then Bukhari said, Haddathana Ali ibn Abdillahi qal. Haddathana Abu Hazimin qala. Sa'alu sahlabn sa'adin min ayyi shay'in al-manbaru. Faqala ma baqiya bin nasi a'lamu minni. Huwa min athli al-ghabati amilahu fulanun mawla fulana li rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallamah. وقام عليه رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حين عمل ووضع فاستقبل القبلة كبر وقام الناس خلفه فقرأ وركع وركع الناس خلفه ثم رفع رأسه ثم رجع القهقرى فسجد على الأرض ثم عاد إلى المنبر ثم ركع ثم رفع رأسه ثم ركع القهقرى حتى سجد بالأرض فهذا شأنه قال أبو عبد الله يعني البخاري قال علي بن المديني سألني أحمد بن حنبل رضي الله عنه عن هذا الحديث قال فإنما أردت أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان أعلى من الناس فلا بأس أن يكون الإمام أعلى من الناس بهذا الحديث قال فقلت إن السفيان بن عيينة كان يسأل عن هذا كثيرا فلم تسمعه منه قال لا So this hadith the scholars, they took from it the permissibility of an imam or a teacher or a scholar for him to sometimes go on somewhere very high so he can teach the people how to pray. And the evidence for that is the fact that the messenger did it, alayhi salatu wasalam. And Imam Ahmed, he said about this hadith, فَإِنَّمَا Imam Ahmed, he said, قال, uh, Bukhari mentioned, he said, قَالَ عَلِيُّ بْنُ الْمَدِينِي عَلِيُّ بْنُ الْمَدِينِي is the teacher of Imam Al-Bukhari. He said, سَأَلَنِي Ahmed. Ahmed asked me, Ali ibn Madini is saying, Ahmed asked me. And he asked me about this hadith. He said, 
and the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam I intended from this that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was higher than the people and this hadith shows that there is no harm for the Imam to be higher than the people Ibn Hajar in the Sharah of Bukhari Fathul Bari he says this hadith shows the permissibility of praying the salah in the member. It shows it's permissible. This hadith also shows that there is no harm if there is a distance between the level of the people who are praying behind the Imam and the Imam himself. There's no harm. And Bukhari mentioned that he's te- two teachers, Ahmed and Ali ibn al-Madini accepted that. And also Ibn Daqiq al-Eid has a good research on this issue, Hafid ibn Hajar is saying, فَإِنَّهُ قَالَ مَنْ أَرَادَ أَنْ يَسْتَدِلَّ بِهِ عَلَى جَوَازِ الْإِرْتِفَاعِ مِنْ غَيْرِ قَصْدِ التَّعْلِيمِ لَمْ يَسْتَقِمْ لِأَنَّ اللَّفْضَ لَا يَتَنَاوَلُهُ وَالْإِنْفِرَادِ الْأَصْلِ بِوَصْفِ مُعْتَبَرٍ تَقْتَضِي الْمُنَاسَبَةِ اعْتِبَارُهُ فَلَا بُدَّ مِنْهُ وَفِيهِ دَلِيلٌ عَلَى جَوَازِ الْعَمَلِ الْيَسِيرِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ وَفِي الْحَدِيثِ جَوَازُ الصَّلَاةِ عَلَى الْخَشَبِ وَكَرِهَ ذَلِكَ حَسَنًا بْنُ حَسَنًا حَسَنًا الْبَصْرِيُّ يَعْنِي وَابْنُ السِّيرِينَ وَأَخْرَجَهُ ابْنُ أَبِي شَيْبَةَ عَنْهُمَا وَأَخْرَجَ أَيْضًا عَنْ ابْنِ مَسْعُودٍ وَابْنِ عُمَرٍ نحوه وعن مسروق لأنه كان يحتمل لبنة ليسجد عليها إذا ركب السفينة وعن ابن سيرين نحوه والقول بالجواز هو المعتمد so it's permissible نعم it is what it is permissible what about if a person says I can do this without wanting to teach the people I just want to do it I want to go in the top place and I do it Ibn Hajar brought the statement of Ibn Daqiq al-Eid. Ibn Daqiq, he said, Man arada anyone who wants, and yastadilla bihi to use this hadith, ala jawazil irtifa' to go high. Anyone who wants to use this hadith, to want to go higher than the people he's leading, min ghayri qasdi ta'lim, without the intent of teaching. So he's not intending to teach. Lam yastaqim, using hadith is not steadfast. It's not correct. You're using this hadith fi ghayri mawdi'i. You're using, you're using it in, its, in a place other than it. Because the wording of this hadith does not carry that. He makes a qa'idah usuliyah that the scholars mention, which is, this issue is restricted to this situation, so it can only be used in a situation similar to it. It can only be used similar to, me, to it. Then uh, Ibn Hajar, he mentioned, what about praying the salah on a khashab, a wood? He said that Hassan al-Basri and Muhammad ibn Sirin did not like that. Ibn Abi Shayban narrated that from them. And also Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and ibn Umar, also the likes of that was narrated from them. As for Masruq, أَنَّهُ كَانَ يَحْتَمِلُ لَبِنَةً Masruq used to take a, a labina, a brick, لِيَسْجُدَ uh, عَلَيْهِ So he can do prostration on it. إِذَا رَكِبَ السَّفِينَةِ If he would go on a safina, يعني a ship. And ibn Sirin and something like that was narrated from him. Ibn Hajr concluded the discussion. He said, That it's permissible. After a long mentioning, it is permissible to pray on the pulpit. Naam. It is permissible. The author, Rahimahullah, here he speaks about the sutra and its obligation. The sutra and its obligation. The Shaykh, Rahimahullah, Al-Bani, Rahimahullah, he talks about it. 
and he mentions a couple of things related to it, inshallah ta'ala. They are uh, five points, inshallah ta'ala. Point number one. What is the sutra? The sutra is, amamahu. It is what the person who is praying places in front of himself. The sutra is what the person places between, uh, he places uh, in front of himself, sorry, when he's praying. And he places it between the place of prostration. The second point is what is the wisdom? What's the wisdom? The hikmah of sutra. What is the wisdom of the sutra? The ulama, rahimahumullah, they said, sutra. The wisdom of legislating, legislating the sutra is anaha takunu haddan. That it's going to be a limitation. And it prevents the one who wants to go in front of the imam. And the purpose for it, it is to stop anyone to go in front of him. So anyone can go beyond that if he wants to, but not here, where there is a sutra. Also, it is basarihi. It is to limit his sight. Because from the sunnah is that he doesn't uh, put his eyesight further than his place of prostration. Point number three. The point number three is is the duration or the limit of what is going to take what is going to be between the musalli, the one who's praying, and the sutra. What is the miqdar, the amount of that which is going to be between the musalli and the sutra? The ahadiths have mentioned thalathatu three adhra, uh, an uh, arm span. A dhira is a what? It's an arm span. So, this, the thalathatu adhra is going to be from what? From where he stands to what? To his, um, to his sutra. So you're praying the salah. To you in the sutra, there's thalatul adhra. Three times. To the sutra. When you do sujood like it, there has to be a mumarrishat between your prostration and the sutra. The, where, when you put your head on the floor and you do the sujood, from your sujood and the sutra, that is mumarrishat. The hadith, they have shown that it has to be a mumarrishat. A mumarrishat means what? Uh, where a, sh- a goat can go through. A goat. When you put your head down on the floor and the sutra, that space is a mumarrishat. When you stand up between you and the sutra, it's thalathatu adhra'a. Three dhira'a. Okay? Three dhira'a. The author mentioned that hadith that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, alayhi salatu wa sallam, he brought it. Um, the Shaykh rahimahullah, he brought it. Yeah, the first hadith. He used to stand near to the sutra so that there was a distance of three cubits. 
three cubits of and between the place of his prostration and the wall, there was enough space for a sheep to pass. Okay? That is. Also, the Shaykh Rahimullah here, he's mentioning that the Messenger used to use the jidar, a wall. Um, Naam. How high does the sutra have to be? So he mentioned the sutra between you and the person. The distance between you and the sutra. How much? Three cubits. How long does the sutra have to be? Can it be flat on the ground? Is that a sutra? Or does it have to be a, uh, the height of the sutra? The scholars they say the height of the sutra has to be three cubits as well. Uh, it's what, it has to be what? It has to be three cubits. And some scholars, they said, no, it just has to be one cubit. And that which seems apparent um, regarding the ahadiths that have come regarding it. Just one cubit that the sutra is. Mm-hmm. Al-Imam Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, he said, وَمُؤَخِرَتِهِ بِضَمِّ أَوَّلِهِ ثُمَّ هَمْزَةَ سَاكِنَةٍ وَأَمَّا الْخَاءُ فَجَزَمَ أَبُوْ عُبَيْدُ بِكَسْرِهَا وَجَوَّزَ الْفَتْحَ وَأَنْكَرَ بْنُ قُتَيْبَةَ الْفَتْحَ وَعَكَسَ ذَلِكَ بْنُ مَكِّيٍ فَقَالَ لَا يُقَالُ مُقَدِّمٌ وَمُؤَخِّرٌ بِالْكَسْرِ إِلَّا فِي عَيْنِ الْخَاسِ وَأَمَّا فِي غَيْرِهَا فَيُقَالُ بِالْفَتْحِ فقط وروه بعضهم بفتح الهمزة وتشديد الخاء والمراد بها العود الذي فيه آخر الرحل الذي يستند إليه الراكب. And then he brought the statement of الإمام النووي ابن حجر. He says قال النووي في شرح مسلم عند شرحه هذا الحديث تحت في هذا الحديث الندب إلى السترة بين يدي المصلي وبيان أن أقل السترة مؤخرة الرحل الرحل سوري وهي قادم قدم عظم الذراع هو نحو ثلثي ذراع ويحصل بأي شيء أقامه بين يديها كذا وشرط مالك رحمه الله تعالى أن يكون في غلط الرمح انتهى كلامه ابن حجر أوصو سير اعتبر فقهاء مؤخرة الرحل في مقدار أقل السترة واختلفوا في تقديرها بفعل ذلك فقيل ذراع وقيل ثلثا ذراع وهو أشهر لكن في مصنف في عبد الرزاق النافع أن مؤخرة رحل ابن عمر كانت قدر الذراع. So what seems apparent is that it's either ثلث الذراع or الذراع. One third of a cubit or a cubit. The fourth point that the author Rahimahullah spoke about here is, is that what is the ruling regarding the sutra? And the scholars, they have many views regarding the sutra. There are many views What's the hukum of the sutra? Okay? There are many views. If you go to the fiqh al-islami, or you look at the kitab al-mawsu'at al-fiqiyat al-kuwaitiyya, they say, ذهب الحنفية إلى أنه يستحب أن يتخذ المنفرد والإمام سترة يضعها بين يديهم. They have the opinion that the Hanafiya, they took the opinion that is recommended for the person who's by himself or with the imam to pray, to place a sutra before himself. You can find it in the Bada'i al-Sana'iyah. Hashid ibn Abidin. 
وذهب المالكية and the Malikiyya they took and the sutra to sunnah للإمام والمنفرد it's a sunnah for the imam and the person who's praying by himself وذهب الشافعية and the shafi'iyya took the opinion إلى أنه يسن أن يصلي إلى سطرة الإمام النووي منشز in his muhadab in his mulu' and حنابلة إلى أنه يستحب أن يصلي إلى سطرة That's what he said. So, is it so? What is the ruling regarding praying uh, towards a sutra? Some scholars they said taking the sutra is a sunnah, highly recommended sunnah, and the evidence for that is that it's not wajib. Is Abdullah ibn Umar's statement that he said that the Prophet has said. ألا لا تصلي إلا إلى سطرة. Do not pray except to a sutra. ولا تدع أحدا يمر بين يديك. Do not let anyone go in front of you. فإن أبا and if he refuses فلتقاتل فإنه معه قرين. With this person is a what? With this person is a a قرين. Um, That's what they said. We'll carry on after the salah, inshallah ta'ala, to discuss the whole entire disc- uh, ruling regarding it. Anything which I have said that was wrong is for me and shaitan and Allah and his messenger are both free from it. So we were talking about the ruling regarding the sutra. Hukmu ittikhadis sutra. What is the ruling regarding taking a sutra? And um, we mentioned that the Hanafiya are of the opinion that it's recommended. Whether it be for the Imam or the person praying by themselves. We said the Malikiyah also they hold the opinion that it's a Sunnah, whether it's an Imam or the person who is praying by himself. We also mentioned that the, uh, the, the Shafi'iyah, Shafi'iyah, that it's recommended uh, the person to pray uh, towards a Sutra. وَذَهَبَ الْحَنَابِلَةِ And the Hanabila are of the opinion that it's recommended to pray to the Sutra. And that's what they said. But when you look at the Zahirun Nusus, you look at the Quran and the Sunnah, or maybe the Sunnah, and you look at the Sunnah, you find that it sent, you sense from it wujub, other than what those great Imams have said. Which is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar where the Prophet said, إِذَا كَانَ أَحَدُكُمْ يُصَلِّ فَلَا يَدَعْ أَحَدًا يَمُرُّ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ فَإِنْ أَبَى فَلْيُقَاتِلُ فَإِنَّ مَعَهُ الْقَرِينَ Sorry, the hadith of the Prophet where he said, uh, that the author, Rahimullah, brought, where the Prophet said, لا تصلي إلا إلى سطرة. Do not pray except to a sutra. Or the hadith of the Prophet where he said, إذا صلى أحدكم إلى سطرة فليدنو منها. If one of you is praying to a sutra, then get close to the sutra. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that the Messenger in the open, he would take a sutra. That he would take a sutra. From those evidences you sense that it's obligatory to pray towards a sutra. Okay? That's what it seems like. Um, so inshallah we ta'ala, we will just check that we will take that opinion bi idhni kareem. The fifth point that the author Rahimullah mentioned in this chapter is 
the adab al-mashru'ah, the recommended manners and the etiquettes when it comes to the sutra, the manners and the etiquettes that should be observed when praying towards a sutra. Five things, five manners. The first manners and the etiquettes is أَنْ يَكُونَ بَيْنَ السُّتْرَةِ وَبَيْنَ الْمُصَلِّ ثَلَاثَةُ أَذْرَعَ There should be between you and the sutra five cubits. Number, point number two. Um, between you, when you prostrate and you do the sujood, and the, prost- and the sutra, there should be the, uh, a place where a, sh- uh, a sheep can uh, cross. The third point is, if an animal or a child who's very young, who doesn't know anything, Okay, want to go in front of you, then don't push them. Don't push the little child away. Or don't push the animal away. Because the animal, they don't understand. So don't hurt them both. What do you do? You, go to close, you take a step forward to the sutra so they go behind you. That's what you do based on the hadith that the Shaykh rahimahullah brought. The fourth point is, if a person sees uh, a person praying, he should not go in front of them. If you see someone praying, don't go in front of them. And the person who is praying, if someone tries to go in front of them whilst they are praying, and this person is mumayyiz, aqil, yani he's a person who, mumayyiz, he can distinguish things, yani he's a per- big person, and he's also aqil, he's sane, then what you do here is you push them. You push that person away who's trying to go in front of you. Okay? The fifth point that the author Allah, mentioned uh, uh, in, that, um, in that fifth point, uh, the fifth emanas or the fifth etiquettes is عَلَى الْمُصَلِّ إِذَا صَلَّى إِلَى السُّتْرَةِ أَنْ يَدْنُوا مِنْهَا That when you pray towards a sutra, try to be as close as possible as you can. Um, and Allah knows best. Those are the five points that the author, rahimahullah, mentioned uh, here. Also, mm-hmm. also another point, so I said five, right? Five, six and seven. Six, six uh, two more points. What about the ruling, من يصلي a person who's praying, بغير sutra without a sutra, ومر بين يديه المرأة, a woman goes by you or a, uh, or a donkey or a black dog. If um, a person is praying without a sutra, it will, this, your salah will be broken because a woman went by you or a donkey or a black, cat, uh, black uh, dog. black dog. And the evidence the Shaykh brought it. The Sheikh brought the evidence for that. The seventh point is the sutra of the Imam is a sutra for the people who are praying behind him. And um, the evidence for that is the issue of Abdullah ibn Abbas. Radiallahu mm-hmm. ta'ala anhu, which the Sheikh rahimahullah uh, brought.
And also the second evidence is that the Sahabas who prayed behind the Messenger it was never transmitted from them that they ever prayed towards a sutra when they were praying behind the Messenger. There's no evidence for that. Okay? Naam. So those are the seven points that the author rahimahullah mentioned uh, Naam. in this chapter and the chapter after it. Naam. So we've spoken about the, 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 the seven points that have been spoken about by the Sheikh here regarding who are the people who are going to disconnect your prayer. Who breaks the prayer? We mentioned that. It's the seven points that we mentioned, I mentioned it in there inshallah ta'ala. Naam. The author rahimahullah here he talks about a very important issue which is that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam clarified to us the salah towards the uh, face in the grave is not permissible. And the meaning to that is if someone prays um, anyone who prays the salah on a grave is batil. And this also encompasses the masajids that have been built, uh, been placed inside it, graves. Uh, the graves have been put inside the masjid. Salah are not permissible in those places. And if a person prays the salah in there, then the salah is batil, غير sahiha. The salah is batil, null and void. Whether the qabr was in the, um, the qibla of the musallin, whether, whether the qabr that's in the masjid is in the qibla, or whether it's behind, or whether it's on the right or the left, it doesn't matter. And the exception for that is Salatul Janazah, the Salah of the Janazah. Salatul Janazah is an exception that we have from the Messenger وسلم, and nothing other than that. Um, some scholars, they mention the prohibition of why the Janazah is, uh, uh, other Salahs are, are not allowed and the um, Janazah is not allowed. Uh, the Janazah is allowed. What is the reason? Why is the janazah allowed? We bring the dead body, we put it inside the masjid, and everyone prays. And why? And the other salah we're not allowed. The reason is because salatul janazah does not have in it sujood or rukuh. It doesn't have in there sujood or rukuh. Okay? Um, so that's another, that's the wisdom of why this one is allowed and this one isn't allowed. Um, what about if a masjid has been built and there's a grave being put inside it? إِذَا بُنِيَ الْمَسْجِدُ عَلَى الْقَبْرِ If the graves were already there and the masjid was then built on top of the grave, then the masjid will be destroyed. And if the masjid was there and the graves were brought into the masjid, then the grave, the body, the grave is, the, 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 uh, the uh, qubur are taken out. The graves are taken out. Naam. Now, let me summarize this, uh, inshallah ta'ala, uh, this chapter, inshallah ta'ala. Let me su- summarize it. I'm going to summarize, bi'idhnillahi al-kareem, a uh, couple of points, bi'idhnillahi al-kareem, that we mentioned in the previous chapter, and this chapter, inshallah ta'ala, and the chapter before it. The first one is, A person should, it's, it's obligatory to pray towards a sutra. It doesn't matter whether it's, whether it's in a masjid or not. And... Um, it, is not, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're an old person or a young person, everyone must do it. The Prophet said, لا تصلي إلا إلا 
Do not pray except for sutrah. Okay? The second point that we take is, it is, is obligatory to get close to the sutra. Okay? Point number three. The space between the Prophet ﷺ, his sujood and the, the, the sutra was mumarrishat. That which a sheep can go through. And that, anyone who does that has come with what is required. So there has to be uh, the distance between... Um, the distance between the sujood, the prostration, and the sutra is a mumarrishat. Number four, uh, the sutra must be high from the earth. Shibr or shibrain. Okay? Shibr or shibrain means hand span or two hand spans or one cubit. Number five, the person faces the sutra directly. That's what is the command shows. Number six. Also, there's no problem if the sutra is a, a spear that the person puts onto the ground. It's a thin spear, no problem. Or a pillar. Or a tree. Or even your wife who's lying down, you can use her as sutra. Um, who's under her cover. She's under her cover. She's, co- she's, on top of, she's got her cover on top of herself. And she's lying down there. You can use that as a sutra. You can also take your riding beast as a sutra. And even if it's a camel. Number seven. As-salah is not permissible towards facing the grave. So whether those graves are the prophets or other than the prophets. The eighth point is It is not permissible for a person to go by a person who is praying. It is not permissible. If there is a sutra, if there is a sutra in front of that person. Um, is there a difference here? There's a mas'ala. Is there a difference here whether it is in the Masjid al-Haram or outside the Masjid al-Haram? Yani, some scholars they discuss um, going in front of a person outside the Haram, they said it's permissible. So it's not permissible. Outside the Haram, they say it's not permissible. But then they said in the Haram it's permissible. Okay? They said it's permissible. Is, that, is there a difference between going by in front of a person who's praying in the Haram and outside the Haram? Because the Haram is hard. It's very hard. Everyone's praying everywhere. What do you do? And the person who's praying in the Haram, some scholars have given the verdict in the fatwa that no one's allowed to, he can't stop the people. Because too many people. He should let people go in front of him. That these hadiths do not apply in the haram. Some scholars gave that fatwa. So we say that those fatwas are not, uh, when we look at the nusus al-wahiyayn, when we look at the hadith of the Prophet there's no exceptions for haram. Okay? So that general ruling for the haram, it doesn't, uh, there isn't an exception. But there is without a doubt hardship in the haram when it comes to that issue. So pray upstairs. The top floor, there is no women. 
they're not allowed to go to the top first floor and you can also pray there and etc and majority of times you don't have the issue that you have so you can do that Naam. number nine number point number nine is it is not permissible for a person who's praying to a sutra to let the people go in front of him the Prophet said, Do not let anyone go in front of you. And if somebody tries to go in front of you, then fight with him. Push him. Hard. Very hard. And if anything happens to him, Islamically, that you don't have to pay no blood money. If he dies from that push, there's no blood money on you. Number nine. And it's also permissible that movement. To walk towards your sutra if there's fear that a child's gonna go in front of you or an animal like that which happened to the messenger. Number 11. Number 11 is that the benefits in the sutra is um, it's a it blocks the people uh, or the person who's praying from the rest of the people. And it blocks you also from if a woman goes in front of you that will break your prayer, won't, if you've got a sutra. And if a donkey went in front of you whilst you were uh, praying behind a sutra, it went around you on that side, it also wouldn't break your prayer. Or a black dog went in front of you uh, and you have a sutra and, uh, and he goes around the sutra, then you want to break your salah. But if you don't have a sutra, even if they walk as far from there, your salah will break. Okay, because you have no sutra, aslan. Naam. Now we're going to go into the chapter of niyyah, intention. The author, rahimahullah, is walking you bit by bit. We spoke about istiqbalul qibla, facing the qibla. We've discussed that. The author, rahimahullah, spoke to you about standing up. He talked to you about sutra. He talked about things that break your salah. And all of this is from the beginning of the prayer until you say, assalamu alaikum. In that chronological order, the Sheikh is teaching you. Now, You've stood up, you've faced the Qibla, you've praised your Sutra. Now he's going to tell you what you need to come with. He mentions you have to come with a niyyah, an intention. Okay? You have to come with a intention. When the scholars speak about intentions, they divide it into two. They divide the tension into two. They say, Qasdul ibadah and Qasdul ma'bud. Qasdul ibadah and Qasdul ma'bud. Qasdul ibadah and Qasdul ma'bud. What does it mean, Qasdul Ibadah and Qasdul Ma'bud? We mentioned Qasdul Ma'bud. Qasdul Ma'bud is the one that the scholars refer to as Al-Ikhlas. Al-Ikhlas. Al-Ikhlas is Qasdul Ma'bud. Who are you praying for? You're intending someone to pray for. You're doing this act of obedience for someone. It's called Qasdul. It's called Qasdul Ma'bud. You have to intend who are you praying for? Who are you doing this action for? It's very important. Okay, that's called Qasdul Ma'bud. The second one is called Qasdul Ibadah, intending Ibadah. What do we mean by intending Ibadah? This is what the Fuqaha talk about. The first one is called Ikhlas. Generally, the scholars of Aqidah and the scholars of Hadith, Ahlul Hadith and Ahlul Aqidah, they talk about it. The concept of Ikhlas and whatnot, and spoken about in those books of Worshipping Allah alone, not associated partners with Him, and ikhlas. That's where it's spoken about. Qasdul ma'bud. Qasdul ibadah lakin. Qasdul ibadah, which is the one that the fuqaha talk about. 
and it's the one that the fuqaha call aniyah. It's what the fuqaha call aniyah. It's called aniyah. And then this type, which is qastul uh, ibadah, which is two types. Aniyah is two types. Okay, ikhlas, we spoke about it, is finished. We're now going to go into the second one, which is known as aniyah, intention. Okay, which is qastul ibadah. What does aniya? I mean, how many types of niya are there? There are two types of niya. The first one is tamyuzul ibadati anil adati to distinguish a ibadah from a norms, a custom of some uh, cultural thing that you do, your customs. Someone every morning when he wakes up, he does ghusl. He loves to do ghusl every morning when he or she wakes up. They love to shower. They love it. But this morning. You have to do ghusl from sexual intercourse. The question here is, how are you going to dis- distinguish your normal habitual showering from the uh, shara'i one that you have to do now? How are you going to distinguish one from the other? Okay? How are you going to distinguish it? The way you distinguish it is a niyyah. That this one is a ibadah and this was a adah. I used to do this every morning. It's summer, it's hot. I have to shower every day. But this time, your, your intention is, this is a ibadah, awjabahullahu alayya, Allah made this obligatory on me, wa ma ila dhalik. The next one is, qasdul ibadati ba'diha an ba'din. Distinguishing the ibadat one, one from the other. You're going to distinguish an ibadah from another ibadah. For example, sunnate qabla al-fajri, the two sunnah before fajr. There's two sunnah before fajr and fajr. How do you distinguish one from the other? What is the difference between Sunnah Qabl al-Fajr and the, sun, the Fajr prayer itself? What is the difference between the two? The difference is the intention. I mean, you pray the same way, don't you? How you pray the same? You distinguish it with an intention. You say this is the Sunnah before Fajr and this is the Sunnah after Fajr. Uh, sorry, this is the Sunnah uh, before Fajr and this is Fajr itself. Uh, you distinguish it with an intention. So the author, Rahimahullah, here, he's talking about the issue of Aniyah. He's referring to here the issue of Qasdul uh, ibadah The two types I just mentioned Tamizul ibadati ba'adih an ba'adin Tamizul ibadati anil adat He's talking about that Does that make sense brothers? Because the shaykh now is talking about issues of fiqh He's talking about a fiqh related issue Which is a salah Okay So that's what he means So it means to come with an intention Another point I want to mention regarding intention is La yajuzu talafudu It's not permissible to p- proclaim to utter the, um, uh, the intention. The intentions are not proclaimed. They are not said. They are not uttered. It's in the heart that you say that this is, a, this is uh, the two sunnah before Fajr and this is Fajr itself. This is a ghusl, this is a ghusl I'm going to do, I'm doing because it's wajib on me. Then uh, issue of a tabarrud. I'm just cooling myself down. And it, you don't say it out loud. I am having a shower because it is janaba from... You don't have to say that. You don't pr- say anything. Just in your mind and in your heart. So that's what the shaykh means. And then he uses the famous hadith, إِنَّمَا الْعَمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ That hadith is a hadith that the scholars generally start their books with. Okay? And this hadith, by the way, talks about both types of... The, uh, um, the two that we spoke about, the two types of qast, 
Qasdul ibadah and Qasdul ma'bud. Both of it talks about that. And inna al-amal bin-niyat is used for ikhlas and it's also used for the concept of niyyah. The fuqaha use the hadith inna al-amal bin-niyat for niyyah. The scholars of aqidah and ahlul hadith and whatnot, they use it for what? The issue of ikhlas, sincerity, that you do everything for Allah's sake. And if you don't do it, it will not be accepted. They use it for, it, for that. So this hadith is used for it. And I'll encourage you to read the kitab Jami'ul Ulum Wal Hikam by Ibn Rajab al Hanbali. He really goes into this hadith and extracts a lot from it. ولذلك الإمام الشافعي سأل بعد الحديث إنما الأعمال بنيات يسدي تدخل سبعين بابا من أبواب الفقه. Enter seventy chapters of the chapters of fiqh. محمد بن دريس الشافعي سأل. So this hadith and the hadith of عائشة رضي الله عنها which is من عمل عملا ليس عليه أمرنا فورد. أما من أحدث في أمرنا هذا ما ليس من فورد. Those two hadiths. يعني حديث عائشة عن حديث عمر إنما الأعمال بنيات is the summary of Islam. One talks about the outward and one talks about the inward. And those are the two Islam wants there to be a relationship between. Yani the outward and the inward of a person. That when you're doing something, you're doing it sincerely for Allah's sake. And the outward is that it's in accordance to the sunnah. Those two hadiths are the two conditions of acceptance of any action that a person does. A niyyah and a, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, a person has ikhlas and sincerity. And they also come with the niyyah. And the next one is... That the person does it in accordance to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. It's very important. So, inshallah ta'ala, I encourage you to read the kitab, Jam'ulum uh, al-Hikam. وَلِذَلِكَ The concept of niyyah, the scholars have written books on it extensively. Ibn Abi Dunya has a kitab on ihdarun niyyah and the ikhlas and whatnot in his mawsu'ah. Okay? He has a book on it. Another scholars have written works on it. Shaykh al-Islam Taymiyyah has a whole entire book recently came out, published by itself independently from Majmu' al-Fatawa regarding the hadith of Inna al-A'malu binyat. Shaykh Muhammad Uzair Shams, the Indian scholar, the muhaqqiq of the works of Ibn Taymiyyah, he specifically brought it out and did tahqiq of that book by itself. It is talking about the hadith of Inna al-A'malu binyat that Ibn Taymiyyah commented on. So I encourage you, inshallah ta'ala, to be Ibn Ilal Kareem Read that as well. It will benefit you a lot. There are many fawaid and benefits in there. And this has now become a qa'ida min qawaid al-shari'ah. It's from the legal maxims of Islam. The five qawaid al-kubra in usul al-qawaid al-fiqiyya is what? The first one is al-umuru bi maqasidiha. That every actions are based on what is intended by it. Al-umuru bi maqasidiha mustamadda. It is extracted from and it's taken from where? Ayman al Kitab wa Sunnah. And the hadith is taken from is in the Malamalu bin Yat. It's taken from this hadith in the Malamalu bin Yat. So the Shaykh Rahimullah he starts and he talks about the concept of intention. If you're going to pray this salah, you have to have a niyyah. What are you praying? Is it dhuhr you're praying? Good. Are you praying asr? Yes. Okay, you, how are you going to distinguish one from the other? You have to have an intention. Okay? Naam. The author, rahimahullah, in this chapter, he talks about what is it that makes a person's salah start? What, make, what starts off your salah? Okay? What starts your salah? And um, it is what the fuqaha call takbirat al-ihram. It's what the, author, the ulama of fuqaha mention and they call takbirat al-ihram. And where did they take it from calling it takbirat al-ihram? They took it from the hadith, tahrimuhat takbir. 
They took it from that hadith. So because of that, it's called takbirah. It's called what? Takbirah. And it's called takbiratul ihram. Why is it called takbiratul ihram? The reason why it's called takbiratul ihram is because. <coughs> Alhamdulillah. It's called takbiratul ihram because what was permissible for, what, for you once upon a time is no longer permissible for you. What is permissible for you once upon a time is no longer permissible for you now that you said Allahu Akbar. For instance, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to eat. You're not allowed to drink. You're not allowed to talk. Your movements are restricted. You can't do every movement you want. And then you're forced to do particular acts. So this is why it's called takbiratu al-ihram. Ihram meaning haram. They, so the scholars, they took from it and they call it takbirah because the Prophet said in the hadith, tahrimuha takbir. And where did they take the ihram from? They took it from the hadith itself, which is tahrimuha takbir They took it from that hadith. But the hadith is saying that you can't talk, you can't drink, you can't. That's why everything becomes haram. You're not allowed to do that. And this is one of the strongest evidence that the scholars used against those people who say that you can say the intentions loudly. The refutation, uh, 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 the response that was put to those people is that when the Musi'u Salatahu, the Sahabi that we mentioned, Khalad ibn Rafi', when the Prophet was teaching him the prayer, and he was teaching him how to pray. The Messenger said to him, If you stand up for the prayer, say Allahu Akbar. That's the first thing that the Messenger started with. He didn't say to him that you say your intentions loudly. The Prophet didn't. The Prophet started with say Allahu Akbar. So this shows that Allahu Akbar is where it starts from. And Allahu Akbar is a ruknu min arkanis salah. It's a pillar. Without it, the salah is null and void. Um, can someone say something other than Allahu Akbar? Can you say, MashaAllah, and start the prayer like that? Can you say, SubhanAllah, and start the prayer like that? No, you can't. Salah, you can't say anything. You can't say, Allahul Kareem, <laughs> Allahul Rahim. We say, Sadaqt, you told the truth. Allah is generous and He is merciful. But Allahu Akbar is what's, what's required from you. So you can't say Allahul Kareem, Allahul Azim, Allahul Aziz. No. Allahul, Allahu Akbar is what's needed from you. So the salah, to enter it, you have to say Allahu Akbar. The person has to say that. Um, or if you say anything other than that, Allahul A'zam, um, Allahul Akbar, for example. The person says Allahul Akbar. And he doesn't say Allahu Akbar. He says, Allahul Akbar. He has the Alif Al-Lam to Akbar. Or he says, Allahul Aziz. Or he says, Allahul Kareem. Or he says, Allahul Rahim. Allahul Wahid. We will say to that person, that, لا تدخل الصلاة. You haven't entered into the Salah. You have to say, Allahu Akbar. That's what you have to say. Because of the statement of the Prophet where he said, تحريمها takbir," And he then explained it to us how to do it. He used to say, Allahu Akbar. That's what we have. And the Prophet said in the hadith, Sallu kama usalli. Pray the way you see me pray. So, Allahu Akbar is a pillar. Um, Allahu Akbar is a what? 
uh, it's a pillar. This wording is a pillar that the person has to say. And also the person must make sure that when they say Allahu Akbar that they feel it. That Allah is greater subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah is great, is greater than everything. Is greater than everything in this world. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam كان يجهر بهذا التكبير صوتا حتى يسمع من خلفه He used to raise his voice so loudly that the person behind him could hear him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Um, if the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was sick and he wasn't able to raise his voice based on the hadith that the author mentioned وكان إذا مريض when he became sick رفع أبو بكر صوته Abu Bakr is the one who raised his voice so he can make the people hear it. But the Prophet would, tra- would say as, as loud as he can and then Abu Bakr would say it louder for the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this shows the repeating of the takbir of the Imam um, when the Imam is weak. Um, this hadith shows that it's permissible that the takbir of the imam is repeated if the imam is weak and the people cannot hear him. This hadith is evidence for it. But today, alhamdulillah, we have microphones and that does the job for us. Alhamdulillah. So the microphones are doing the job. Um, but is it a sunnah? Is it a sunnah to, um, to do that? The scholars, they say, that it is not a sunnah and it's permissible and it's not a sunnah but it's permissible the author rahimahullah he goes into the issue of raf'ul yadayn raising the hands mm-hmm. yeah sah raf'ul yadayn raf'ul yadayn means raising of the hands the raising of the hands the takbiratul ihram must be said. Uh, the person must say Allahu Akbar. As we mentioned, it's a pillar. But s- raising the hands with the takbiratul ihram. So when you say Allahu Akbar, raising the hands whilst you're making the takbir is a sunnah. It's a sunnah. Um, and the evidence to show that is the fact that the Messenger Sallallahu would do this sometimes and he would do that sometimes. Sometimes, whilst he would say Allahu Akbar, he would be... So he would be saying, Allahu Akbar. So his hand movements and the Allahu Akbar were together, sometimes. Sometimes he would say, Allahu Akbar, and then he would raise his hands. Sometimes he would do this, Allahu Akbar. After he's risen, he's raised his hand already, he then says, Allahu Akbar. So all three situations he's done. He sometimes did it with it, by saying, Allahu Akbar, the hand, and the raf'ul yadayn and the takbirah together. Sometimes, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would um, say the takbir and then he would do the hand raising. Or sometimes he would raise the hand first and then he would do the takbir. Yeah, he would say the takbir. So this shows that it's a sunnah. You can do it whichever of those three hay'at, those three ways that the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, used to raise his hands. You can do it. Okay. It is that which the Shaykh mentions. Also, the Shaykh Rahimahullah he mentions La Yafruju. That which I want to speak about is the issue of Tafrij. 
Tafrij means what? It's to open your fingers like that. So some people, it's to open your fingers. Yeah, they're not stuck together. The person, he, um, he, his fingers are apart, not spaced, nor together. The Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he never used to, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as the hadith mentions, he never used to make a space like that, and he never used to stick them together like that. It was normal, just like that. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, just normal. He never made big space between it, and he also didn't. Alayhi salatu wasalam, he did not bring them together too much. Alayhi salatu wasalam. Okay. Where did he used to do it? There's two places where the hands are risen when you raise your hands. There are two places. The first one is either your shoulders or your ears. Now you tend to find some people do this like they push their hands back and their shoulders forward and they go like this and they do it like that and they think that's what the hadith means. No. The hadith says Hadwa means level to your shoulders. So your hands are forward but they're leveled. Hadwa means to level it. It's leveled to your shoulders. and it's, Or sometimes he would go a bit up and level it to his ears. There's no touching of the ears. There's no touching of your shoulders. Okay? It's just hadwa man kibayhi. Ama sometimes closest to his udunayhi, his ears. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This chapter and the previous chapter, there are some things that we take from it, inshallah ta'ala. There are couple of, couple of points that we take from this chapter and the previous one that the author rahimahullah mentioned um, regarding the takbiratul ihram and the Allahu Akbar and the takbiratul ihram and the raising of the hands so inshallah ta'ala I'm going to mention seven points point number one the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he used to start his prayer by saying Allahu Akbar and it's a pillar my beloved brothers and sisters because the prophet said Miftahu salat al The key to the salat is purification. Wa tahrimu had takbir. And everything's every, everything that the sharia mentioned that you can't do becomes haram from you when you say Allah Akbar. You can't talk, you can't eat, you can't. Wa tahlilu had taslim. And everything becomes halal for you after you say salam alaykum. Number two. I mean, of course, everything that was, hal- that was made haram at this moment becomes halal for you. Number two. The person only raises his voice, says, Allahu Akbar, when he's an imam. If you're by yourself, you don't have to raise your voice. Number three, it is permissible for the mu'adhin um, to say Allahu Akbar after the imam if the reason for that is because the imam is sick or his voice is very weak. Or the people who are praying behind him are too, too large and his voice will not be able to reach everybody, then it is permissible for the mu'adhin or someone else to say Allahu Akbar loud. After the Imam. After the Imam. The Imam says it first and then that person says it. He cannot do it before the Imam or with the Imam. Number four. Um, number four is. The the ma'moom, the one who's praying behind the imam, he can't say Allahu Akbar unless the imam says Allahu Akbar, which I just mentioned. Number five, the person can raise his hands in three ways. One, with the takbiratul haram. Two, before the takbiratul haram. And three, 
after the takbiratul ihram. Number six, the person raises his hands high, lakin, he doesn't fully, what do you call it, um, uh, he wouldn't space out his hands too much and nor were they together. And number eight, uh, number seven is um, he would, salawatullahi wa alayhi, he would level uh, his hands with his shoulders and sometimes he would level it with the top of his ears, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Um, here the author, rahimahullah, he goes into placing the right arm on the left arm and the obligation that has come regarding that. And it's a commandment from the Messenger, alayhi salatu that when you're putting your hands together, how do you do it? The left hand is on the bottom and the right hand is on top. So the left and the right. That's what has been transmitted from the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Um, the Jumhurul Ulama, the overwhelming majority of scholars in Islam, are of the opinion that it's recommended. Ala al-istihbab. And the hadith that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa mentioned, where the Shaykh rahimahullah brought, إِنَّا مَعْشَرَ الْأَنْبِيَاءُ أُمِرْنَا بِتَعْجِيلِ فِطْرِنَا وَتَأْخِيرِ سُحُورِنَا وَأَنَّضَعَ إِمَانَنَا عَلَى شَمَائِلِنَا فِي الصَّلَاةِ We were commanded. And أُمِرْنَا is what he used. This command, which is أُمِرْنَا, we were commanded. The overwhelming majority of the scholars see this أُمِرْنَا as not wujub. It's not obligation. Recommendation. It's recommended. Because the command sometimes can be obligation, sometimes it can be recommendation. Mm-hmm. The overwhelming majority of scholars. Either the one who says it's recommended, the asal is that the amr shows wujub. The asal is that the command is obligation. So anyone who says it's recommended here, asarif is needed. Asarif means something that turns it away from being obligatory uh, and being recommended is required on that person's behalf. So they said uh, that has been transmitted from... Um, one of the companions, who um, Abdullah ibn Zubair, and that is Abdullah ibn Zubair, and He used to pray with his hands straight, without putting on his uh, hands putting on top of each other. Abdullah ibn Zubair used to pray with his hands mursalah. Now, I mean, never put one hand on top of the other one at all. And Ibn Abi Shaybah is the one who narrated this. Ibn Abi Shaybah is the one who narrated this. Um, also, Ibn Abi Shaybah narrated that um, Abdullah ibn Yazidin, he said, Ma ibn al-Musayyab. I never saw Ibn al-Musayyab. Yani Sa'id al-Musayyab. He's the most knowledgeable tabi'i. Sa'id al-Musayyab. قَابِدًا يَمِينَهُ فِي الصَّلَاةِ كَانَ يُرْسِلُهَا Sa'id ibn al-Musayyabna, he used to do irsal of his hands. يعني, I never saw Sa'id al-Musayyab put his hand on top of each other. Never. Sa'id al-Musayyab, all the time his hands were, 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 were on his sides. Both of his hands were on the side. You see? So, what is known in usul al-fiqh is أَنَّ فِعْلُ الصَّحَابِي فِيهَا لَا مَجَالَ لِلْرَأْيِ فِيهِ That if a sahabi does something like that, an act of worship like that, it shows 
that this issue is not from an opinion that the Sahaba just held. This issue is what? Lahu hukmur raf'i. It takes what? Hukmur rafa. It takes hukmur rafi. It's as though the Prophet did this, sallallahu alayhi wa Because the issue of salah is a ibadah, and a ibadah is tawqifiyya, and this shows that, um, this shows, it's not wajib. Um, that is the delete that the Jumhur used. That's the view, by the way, I'm transmitting is the view of the Jumhur. And that's how they argue this point. That which seems apparent to me, and Allah knows best, subhanahu wa ta'ala, is um, placing the right hand, the right hand, on the left hand, is min sunan al muakkada it's from the sunnah that are highly emphasized on um, highly recommended and it's not something a person should take very lightly it is not something a person should just leave off khasatan uh, specifically that the messenger commanded his sahabas to do this so it is something a person should stick to doing by placing his hand his right hand on his left hand when he's praying the salah because this is the hayat uh, uh, of the salah which are mu'akkadah and he highly emphasized on from him salawatullahi wa salamun like and if a person doesn't put his hand on his and he doesn't put his hand on top of each other we don't say ah oh, this guy look at him he's evil he's corrupt he doesn't know the salah yani, Ibn Abi Shayba narrates multiple imams from the ayman to Salaf who used to do this. And Al Imam Malik rahimahullah, is even quoted from him, if I'm not wrong, that he said, I never saw anyone in the, of the scholars of Medina who put their hand on top of each other. Naam. So this issue shows that it's not wujub, that it's what? Uh, that it's um, recommended. Like in Sheikh Nasir rahimahullah, as you can see, he, he holds the opinion that he's saying it's wajib. It's commanded. And he believes that command is obligatory. The Shaykh holds that opinion. Rahimahullahu um, ta'ala. We'll take the next chapter and we'll stop there inshallah ta'ala. Naam. The author, Rahimahullah, he now goes into placing them on the chest. And you both your hands placing on the chest. The Shaykh, he mentions that. So there are uh, three things that the author mentions here. Three things he mentions. Rahimahullah rahmatan wasi'ah. The first issue he mentions is كَيْفِيَةُ وَضْعُ الْيَدِ الْيُمْنَا عَلَى الْيُسْرَةِ فِي حَالِ الْقِيَامِ بَعْدَ تَكْبِرَةِ الْحِرَابِ After the person says, Allahu Akbar, where should he or she put their hand? Okay. Where? After تَكْبِرَةِ الْحِرَابِ This is what the author rahimahullah explains here. And the nusus, the text, they show two forms, two forms, I mean two ways. One is the hand, the right hand being on top of the left hand. We already spoke about that one. Okay. And the second one is sifatul qabdi, the way you grab your hand. Okay. Where do you place it? We already spoke about it. And the grabbing. Okay. 
So the first one is that you place your right hand on top of your ha- left hand. We already mentioned that one. Okay. How do you do it? How do you do it? You can either grab it, your hand, as in grab it. You're grabbing onto it. You can do that or you can place it. You can just do wada. Those are the two forms that I mentioned. Sifatul wada'i wa sifatul qabdi. Sifatul wada'i wa sifatul qabdi. What does it mean, brothers? You can place your left hand and your right hand, which we already mentioned, on top of each other without grabbing. You just place it on top. You don't grab. Just put it on top. And there's another way, which is you grab it. You grab it. You can do that. Both of those are permissible. Um, and where do you grab? You grab from your, from, your, uh, from your wrist. From your wrist, you grab it from there. So you grab the the sa'id uh, of the person. Mas'ala tuthaniya, the second mas'ala. So the first mas'ala was what, brothers? How do you place your right hand on your left hand? There are two ways. There's sifatul wad'i and sifatul qabdi. The sifa of just placing it on top of each other and the way of grabbing. You grab your hand. You can do both ways. Both of them are transmitted. Number, number, um, point number two that the author mentions here is the hands are on the chest. They are on the chest. That's the chest. So the chest is where your, uh, your ribs are. That's your chest. Okay? And the scholars have mentioned some... Sheikh Albani, rahimahullah, of course, is of the opinion that all of those hadiths regarding وَضْعُ الْيَدِ عَلَى الصَّدْرِ is sahih. To Albani, it is sahih. Huh? Sheikh Nasir is Sahih. And he sees it to be authentic. Like in that which we see is that these ahadiths, all of them that have come regarding placing your hand on your chest, kulluha, all of those narrations, whatever narrations they are, la, they are not absent from, they are not absent from weakness. There's a risala that is written. Let me get that risala. It's called Fathul Wadud, I think. Fil Wadil Aidi ala Sudur, I think it's called. It's called Fathul Wadud, I think. I don't want to misquote it. So it's Fathul Wadud. Fi Wadil Aidi. Aidi ala Sudur. Ala Sudur, sorry, Sudur, Sad. So it's no, it's Fathul Ghafur. And it's written by Shaykh Al Alama Muhammad Hayat al Sindi. This kitab um, it's the kitab that gathers all of the narrations regarding placing your hands on your chest. It's called Fathul Ghafur. Shaykh Muhammad Hayat al Sindi. We died in 1163. Okay? The great scholar of Islam. And he taught, uh, he taught um, uh, Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab. He was from India. Muhammad Hayat Sindhi. He was an Indian scholar. A scholar of the Sunnah. Ala kulli hal. This kitab, if you, those, it brings all of the narrations. All of the narrations. You look at them, 
there is a maqal, there's a question to it, question mark next to it. There's none of them that are sahih. Okay? So I followed it all up. I don't see any of it to be authentic. But what I do say is that, what I say in ilm is on with Allah Azza wa Jalla is, um, it is the least weakest narrations out there. And all of the hadiths that have come regarding the stomach and are even lower than the hadiths coming on the chest. Yeah, the hadiths which have come regarding the chest, even though each one has a question to it, okay, it's the least weakest narrations, if that makes sense. So that's why I just put it on the chest. But there's no problem where someone, if he wants to put it somewhere else, because the hadiths are not sahih. The third mas'ala, which is that the author rahimahullah mentions ما يتعلق بوضع اليد في الصلاة The author رحمه الله The last and final point that he mentions is The prohibition And that it's forbidden putting one's hand On the waist during prayer and he put his hand on his waist to demonstrate. And this is the silb which he used to forbid. I'm a salb, I'm a silb, naam. Which is what the Shaykh Rahimullah mentioned at the bottom. He used to forbid one's hand on the waist during uh, prayer. Putting your hand on your waist. He used to prohibit that, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We'll stop there, bi al kareem. Anything which I have said that was wrong or incorrect is from me and Shaytan and Allah and His Messenger are both free from it. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayh.